Isn't it amazing how quickly society forgets what they had to deal with just the last four years? <laughs> and so they have amnesia somehow. And uh, it's so important to realize that, trust me, um, things aren't uh, just going to go away, but it'll come back in a different form. It'll come back in a different uh, climate change, whatever the case may be, you know, um, don't kill people, stay home. And um, <clears throat> only, only do what is essential. Go to work Monday through Friday. And so uh, you don't know what's, what's up in the future. However, the one thing we are hoping to do, and that was the purpose of this very documentary, is in order to educate the church and tell the church, look, um, we have many martyrs throughout our history that we are very proud of and uh, that are very encouraging to every one of us. And um, people throughout history have actually stood up for the gospel in the face of threats by the government and by everybody else. The church had been commanded to meet. The church was commanded to glorify God in hard times and easy times. And that's exactly what we'll do. So may this be a reminder as to where we stand next time round. All right. <laughs> this past week, however, I know it's kind of like a movie, movie week, but this past week, about 15 of us guys went to go see The Sound of Freedom, and it really stirred so much within me uh, the awareness of what's happening in our societies, in our society. Our culture is, in fact, facing a slow and incremental movement towards full-blown paganism. Uh, this kind of paganism where total and utter depravity will eventually become the norm. It'll just be normal. Like, I remember coming to the United States in the year 2000. And I must be honest, the first thing that really took me back, uh, that really shocked me, was Halloween. I simply couldn't believe Halloween. It was such a strange, strange concept for somebody coming from Africa. And, uh, however, the second thing was about a year or two later was the first gay pride parade that I heard of downtown. Uh, it was so shocking, I had sleepless nights. I couldn't believe that what was illegal all year round became legal for, those, for that day right there. I remember asking a police officer, uh, we have many, had many in our church at the time, uh, why is that legal on that day but illegal for the rest of the time? There are people in jail doing things that those guys are allowed to do on that day, but never any other day. You know? It's like, what's up with the hypocrisy and the unbalanced scales and um, the injustice of it all? And uh, he showed me, this police officer showed me how the, the, the actual local government in Chicago said to the police, if you are going to do anything about that on that day, <clears throat> nudity, exposure, and so forth, the word was, you're on your own. Nobody will support you in that. And so what I realize is at this point in time, that specific parade is actually very normal now. It's hosted everywhere all the time. Churches are waving the flags, as you know. It's crept, crept into the church. This kind of paganism I refer, I'm referring to, uh, where total and utter depravity will eventually become the absolute norm. Wickedness and evil will be everywhere on screens, it will be everywhere in classrooms. It'll be in our streets. It'll even seep into the churches. And somebody says to me, well, Jacques, uh, it sounds like you're talking about something in the future. It's actually already here, isn't it? Yeah. 
just like, um, you know, while Christians or true Christians like Lot have their hearts grieved, they will also be pushed into silence by the culture. And so as we watched this video, a bunch of guys, we went to IHOP. Don't do it. <laughs> Make sure to eat before you go. <laughs> and uh, while we were there, we were talking about our takeaways from what we saw revealed through this documentary. And um, we learned a lot of things. A lot of things flooded through my mind and I wasn't allowed to put my phone on. I didn't want to be rude, but I wanted to take notes throughout because so many things were flooding through my heart and mind. But one of the things, one of the main things that I took away and we all took away from seeing that, that documentary on human trafficking is this. Number one, total depravity is the most verifiable doctrine in all of scriptures. Which other doctrine is as verifiable as total depravity? Man is totally depraved. In other words, sin has touched every part of who he is. Now, you aren't utterly depraved. In other words, you can get worse than what you already are. You can make decisions to sin more today, can't you? You can decide not to do the right thing. But what is true already is that we are already touched by sin in every part of who we are. Now, some people have allowed themselves to incrementally grow worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where they are part of that group where we look at them and we cannot believe that they are in fact, they have stooped that low. We cannot believe that they have been so corrupted and marred by sin. Human trafficking, can you believe it? Whoever thought, we thought slavery was over. Here's a great opportunity to prove if you have heart that hates slavery to actually do something about it. How did we get to where human trafficking is now a $150 billion market? Something people invest in. It is so lucrative. How did we get here where human trafficking is in fact the USA is the biggest portion of uh, the market is right here. And by far, most of those being trafficked are actually women and children. Right here in the United States of America. Imagine, how did we get here? Well, that's a good question to ask. Because if we can find out how everything has moved so far into depravity, we can know when it's under our noses and it seems innocent still. What has happened is the normalizing of sin. The normalizing of sin. Sin has become entertaining. Fifty Shades of Grey. Sin has become popular. Now sin is being defended. You don't dare say something about those people because they are oppressed. So let them march all day long in the nude. That's okay. <laughs> you know, as, as if that makes any sense. <clears throat> So what we are seeing in the world of human trafficking, and especially in child trafficking, is this naked truth about sin's effect on human nature. And I'm talking to you about the normalizing of sin. I want to encourage you to not normalize sin in your life. This is where things like that start. Nobody starts acting in on their sexual impulses and their sexual perversions by getting into child trafficking. Nobody leaves high school and goes, you know what, I think I'm going to do something lucrative. I'm going to get into such. No, they start somewhere else. Where do they start? 
They started in a way more innocent place. That's why Satan comes as an angel of light. His ministers are ministers of what? Righteousness, the Bible says. Let me say that again. It might be a shock to most of you. But Satan's ministers, he has ministers. Demons have doctrines, the Bible says. Satan's ministers come as what? Ministers of righteousness. They're preaching the word. They stand behind pulpits. That's what the Bible says. I'm just quoting. Does anybody know that verse? Yeah? All right. Everybody knows that verse. So where does it start? How does that perversion start in something innocent? Well, it starts in something innocent like, let's say, Disney movies, the Disney Channel. And then, of course, later it goes to, well, I'm 13. PG-13 is good, right? Well, then later I'm, I'm 18, PG-18. And then later, PG-21. Then soft porn. Then hard porn. Guess what? Then child porn. There's no just jumping into something like human trafficking and child porn. There's a whole process to it. Nobody has ever been, and actually Tom pointed this out the other day, he says, nobody's ever been addicted to, you don't have to get your, your Spider-Man fix, do you? You don't have to, you're not addicted to Spider-Man. Nobody is. Nobody's addicted to those shows. That's why the porn industry is, in fact, a more lucrative industry than Hollywood itself. Because there's an addiction to something versus regular movies that you don't have one addiction to. This is a porn generation. If you, are, if you knew the size of that market. But porn is like an incorruptible fire which will never be satisfied. It cannot satisfy. And our culture is absolutely saturated with it. Those who are flirting with porn realize that you are training yourself, not in discipline, but in pleasure. And that is what I want to warn parents about. Do not train your children in pleasure. That's what we do. If you think about their whole entire off day, it's basically pleasure wall to wall. This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. And they wouldn't know any difference if you, tell, if you didn't raise them that way. They would think they have a great life. Not living from pleasure to pleasure, from ice cream to movies to shows to iPads to pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. And never having any responsibility. Raise your children in responsibility, not in pleasure. And, I, and this is not in my notes, but I want to tell you that every single person, every single human being has a capacity for pleasure. I've said it before. And when that capacity has been exhausted, now what? Anger? Because there's unmet expectation. Anger is a secondary emotion, which is unmet expectation. That's why you get angry when somebody takes your parking spot. Because you expected to have it, but somebody took it. Now you're angry. And so anger works that way. And a child, when he has, when he has exhausted his capacity for pleasure, now there's unmet expectation. And that's why children are angry. That's why children don't have any discipline. Because they are being trained on pleasure. Don't do it. That's what happened to this generation that's now older. They were trained that way back then. Draw that line in your family. Not only is sin normalized in culture through Hollywood, the internet, through education system. I mean, our school system is so guilty. But it's normalized through progressive Christian churches. Progressive ch churches. Progressive churches are normalizing sin. And you might say, how? Well, the first sign of a progressive church or denomination 
is that they're always trivializing sin in this way, that they never teach on it. God is good. Amen. All the time, He's good. The, actually, if you just read through the book of Acts, you'll never find that, but you'll always find the whole thing about repentance, right? Yeah. So churches normalize sin by doing what? Never teaching on it. Number two, never calling people to repent from it. That's how they normalize sin. Coming as angels of righteousness or messengers of righteousness, but never teaching sin and the repentance from it. The second sign of a progressive gospel or progressive church and denomination is the diminishing of sin's effect on human, ra- on, on human nature. Let me say it again. It's the diminishing of sin's effect on a human nature. That's how they diminish sin and make it normal. You see, progressive churches, is, it's the one that never talks about sin and repentance, but always incessantly talking about human value and human goodness and human potential instead of allowing themselves to preach the actual word through maybe the book of Acts where they'll find Acts 20 verse 21 and you'll see exactly what the apostles actually preached. Because remember now, Christianity is an ancient faith. If you don't have a historical Christianity, you don't have Christianity, right? If it's not a historical Christianity, it ain't Christianity. So let's look at the historical message of the apostles in Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. It says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful. He's going to tell us what was helpful. I didn't keep back any other stuff that's helpful to you. He's going to tell us what it is. He says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. There is salvation. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. There is salvation. That was the message of the early apostles, ancient historical Christianity. And if that is not our Christianity, then we don't really have Christianity, do we? So how is Christ reduced by those believers who trivialize sin? I feel like this is such a big question. How is Christ reduced by those believers who trivialize and play with sin and don't make a big deal of it. Only thing you hear them say is about how wonderful man is, how good man is, and how much potential man is. And all you need to do is keep saying this over and over and over. Keep focused and you will, your dreams will come to pass. Your little white picket fence is going to show up one day. You just keep going. That is not what Christianity was about. That is what churches now do. And in so doing, they trivialize sin, the very thing that Christ came to save us from. No, He didn't come to save us from sin. He came to give us a picket fence. No, that's not what Christianity is about. So how is Christ reduced by those believers who trivialize sin? I'll tell you how. If you make less of sin and less of its power that, to corrupt people, in other words, if you make less of sin and its corrupting power, then you are naturally making less of Christ who saved you from that sin. Oh, it wasn't a big problem. It's a small problem. Well, then you have a small little Savior who does a small little work to save you from that small little problem. And that is how they reduce Christ by not teaching sin the way the Bible does and not teaching repentance the way they should. If you make small of the effects of sin, you will naturally make small of Christ's saving work. In other words, sin is a big deal. And it should be preached like it's a big deal. 
And when you look at an unsafe person, you should recognize that that unsafe person is in fact dead in their sins. And if you can't admit that they are in fact dead, but if you want to preach that they're almost dead, a little bit dead, you are trivializing sin's effect upon human, human nature. And you are therefore trivializing Christ's work to save that person. So today, what we want to do is we want to look at the effects of sin. I, I'm serious about this, folks. I am so serious about this. We are not going to be a church. We are not going to be a progressive church ever. We will stop being a church before that day happens. <laughs> okay. I'm happy, man. Menards is waiting for me. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm way more into Home Depot these days. <laughs> for those that don't know, that's my... I, I used to work there. So, we're going to look at this. The effects of sin on human nature and the consequences that comes because of it. As a call to make sure that we don't become a progressive church, but at the same time, that we walk... Um, we walk with clear consciences before the Lord. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at the life of God's final judge that He raised up in Israel. And that's the title of the message, The Incredible Samson. So who were the Old Testament um, judges? And why did God even raise them up? This is so fascinating. But the book of Judges comes off to Gideon and so forth, where there was a great celebration of how the children of Israel Worshiped God, honored God, obeyed God, and there was a lot of blessing. But then came this time where God needed to raise up the judges because the children of Israel rebelled against God year after year, century after century. They rebelled. How did they rebel? They got into disobedience and they got into idolatry. They started worshiping other gods instead of God. It caused them to be defeated by their enemies because they gave themselves not to God. They were defeated. Every time. Not one time did they get away with it. Their disobedience and their idolatry caused them to be defeated by the enemies, led into oppression by other nations, especially the Philistines, and they became slaves. And as a result, because of this, God raised up 12 judges, and Samson was the 12th and final judge. Now, these judges weren't like judges as we know them, right? These weren't judges who sat in a courtroom and decided the sentence on a criminal. Now these judges were more like military officers. These were more like generals in the military who were raised up by God to bring judgment on and to destroy the enemies of Israel. Every time Israel fell, into their, uh, fell to their enemies because of their rebellion and because of their idolatry and their sin, God would show His mercy and He would show His grace towards His own people by doing what? Raising up a judge to deliver them from their well-deserved oppression. Well-deserved oppression. This is only over and over 12 times throughout centuries God showed how merciful He was to His people. But don't forget and don't lose sight of the fact that all judges, there were 12 of them, served as types and shadows of the ultimate judge to come that will ultimately save, which was Jesus. He will ultimately save us from what? Oppression of sin. <laughs> we have got to get this clear. It's been so convoluted. People think Jesus died on the cross so that they can 
afford the new Nikes that just came out, that they can just never have a pain or an ache, or that, they, that they'll grow to be 120 years old and still play football the day before they get snatched up in the rapture or something. I don't know. I don't know what people think about, you know, why Jesus died. Jesus died, like John the Baptist said, behold, the, the Lamb of God who came to take away what? Not the poverty of the world, the sin of the world. Because it's sin that causes everything else. It's sin that causes injustice. He came to take away the cause of all things. Evil. Now let's take a quick look as we walk through the portions of Samson's life to see more closely the effects of sin on this incredible man. And we're going to start with Judges 16 verse 1 and 3. So please follow me in the story of Samson. It says in verse 1, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. Obviously, clearly, Samson, a man called by God, empowered by God, anointed by God, gave an office to by God, was out of line. He sinned, and he went in with a prostitute. The Gazites were told, quote, Samson, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, put, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. So it's clear that even though God, God uses a person in a great way, it doesn't mean that person can't also fall in a great way. All the more so. Every person who is dece deceived by sin does exactly what Samson did right here. And that's, that's this. Follow me because I think you will identify this in your own life. You will identify this in your own life. Are you all with me? Every person who is deceived by sin does what Samson does here. He categorizes his life. Then convinces himself that there's a certain category of his life that God doesn't care about or that God doesn't see. He's unaware about. It's called the closet. It's called the skeletons. It's just kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a category in my life that I'm just going to not... I believe God's going to overlook this category of my life. But every other category, we're good. I help, I help old ladies across the street. I'm good. Then in Judges 16, 4 and 5, we're going to go from verse to verse. It says, After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what, by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to be humble. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So we conclude here that it is possible to fall in love with your enemy, as did Samson. It is possible to fall in love with the very person God wants you to stay away from. Falling in love and being deceived could at times be the exact same thing. 
Think about all the pain and all the ruin that came to Samson only because he was given to his emotions, he was given to his passions, he was given to his desires, he was given to pleasure, he was raised in pleasure. Didn't know how to say no to self. But think about all the pain that came to him because of that and all the ruin that came to him. So they offered Delilah money. Guess how much they offered her? 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, Delilah, of course, was also in love just as Samson was, except for she wasn't in love with Samson. She was in love with money. And when I saw the, two, the 1,100 pieces of silver, it rang a bell to me. As you know, Joseph was sold by his brothers for how much? 20 pieces of silver. He's a type of Christ. Imagine that. What was Christ sold for? Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And here we have... Delilah, she's been sold. She's, she's selling out Samson for 1,100 pieces of silver. Judges 16, let's go to the next verse, 6 through 9. So Delilah said to Samson, please, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. The truth of that verse is that he could be bound. He was bound by lust for what was wrong. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines were brought up to her. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that he had not that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, Quote, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snapped. And when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. What's very striking here, it's obvious that Samson knew she had bad intentions. And that is why he did not tell her the truth. Yet he does not call her out. He does not give her the boot. He doesn't kick her out. Instead, he stays. <laughs> Judges 6, 10 verse 12. Before I go there, let me just say, that is what sin does to us. It literally causes us to have defective thinking where we are no longer thinking with a logical mind, but we're now thinking with a feeling and we stay at places with people that God doesn't want us to stay. Oh man, she's destroying me, but I can't go. Why not? Hmm. Bound. <clears throat> so verse 10 through 12 it says, <clears throat> verse 10 through 12 it says, Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Oh, now he's the one that's wrong. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off of his arms like a thread. So, let me just again drive this point home. There's no logical reason why Samson allowed, his, uh, allowed himself to 
stay in the situation. It was, it was totally clear to him what was going on. And again, he stayed off to this time. This is a great example of how wrong relationships have a power to stop a person from thinking logically and from doing the right thing. Let me say it again. A wrong relationship has power over a person that stops him from thinking clearly, thinking logically, thinking righteously and godly. Stops them from thinking soberly and stops them from actually doing the right thing. Here's one big thing I've realized. When somebody is under that spell, when somebody's in a wrong relationship that has, that has escalated to a place where they don't think straight anymore, neither can they receive counsel. They just won't. They just won't. I mean, I don't know how many times we have had texts and emails a year later, six months later. Alex and Gertha, I mean, are we so sorry? I'm so sorry. I, I made such a big mistake. I keep on. I should have heeded your warnings, and I didn't. Now, Alex and Gertha didn't not heed the warning. I'm telling you the thing. <laughs> Gertha was like, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was him. <laughs> he has this power over me. <laughs> I'm talking about people contacting them saying they wish they had listened, but couldn't, simply couldn't. Something about bad relationships. Think about all the regrets you have, the greatest regrets in your life. Think about it. It was always with somebody or because of somebody. The Bible is full of warnings. It says, those who walk with the wise shall be wise. But the companion of fool doesn't even walk with a fool. He's just a companion of a fool, the Bible says. Won't become foolish, well, will be destroyed. Again, he who walks with the wise shall be wise, but the companion, he that hangs with the fool, shall be destroyed. And here's, here is Samson's life. Judges 16, 13, let's go to the next verse. It says, Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Excuse me, we're now in verse 16, right? Okay, verse 16, sorry. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. <laughs> and he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought, brought money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And this guy is sleeping every time. She made him sleep on her knees. She was affectionate toward him. And she called a man, by the way, your enemy can be very affectionate toward you. There's a difference between flattery, being fl flattering somebody and complimenting somebody. When you flatter somebody, you're actually be about to take something from them. When you compliment somebody, you are actually giving them something at your expense. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. <laughs> wow. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. 
And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Uh, don't miss this. He says, I will go out as I have been all the previous times and I will shake myself free just as always. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Because the Lord hadn't left him until now. He was in his sin, comfortably in his sin, conveniently in his sin, winning, 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 never getting bound to a point where he couldn't free, be freed. This time around, he says, I'm going to just do it again. Not realizing the Lord had left him. Samson lived a compromised life for so long. He didn't think that anything could be different for him. What happened? He misinterpreted the mercies of God. He misinterpreted the merciful delay of God's discipline on his life. While God was patiently waiting for Samson to repent, Samson inter interpreted God's patience as though God didn't care or wasn't aware. Actually, a better way of saying it is that Samson presumed on God's mercy. No way are we given the right to presume on God's mercy, to presume on God's grace, to presume on God's patience or His kindness. He doesn't owe us any patience. He doesn't owe us any goodness. He doesn't owe us mercy. He doesn't owe us grace. We are beholden to Him. On His terms, by the way. And that's always so fascinating to me. How when I turn on the TV and I'm watching a debate, maybe on The View or something like that, it's so amazing when it's an issue like this, okay? It's so amazing to me how people want to talk about morality, what's moral, what's immoral, what's, ac what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, abortion, one of them. And they literally presume on God. What do you think the rainbow f is all about? That's presuming on the grace of God. Because that rainbow is a sign that God will not destroy. They go like, well, great. There's the rainbow. Stop presuming on the grace of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the patience of God. That's exactly what that is. We have a rainbow. We're fine. No, you're not. Many people continue living in sin, presuming on the grace and the mercy of God, not knowing that God will never allow His patience to ever erase His justice. There will be justice. His patience doesn't erase justice. It's just His goodness awaiting you to turn and repent. Let's go to verse 21 and 22. It says, And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes <clears throat> and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shekels. And he, and he ground at the mill. Where? In the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. You know, nothing is more painful in life than seeing the one who was meant to save slaves become a slave himself. One who came to deliver, now needing deliverance. The Bible says, however, but the hair of his head started growing again. Here Samson is without sight. He's a slave, he's in prison. But God brings him hope right there and then. God brings him hope. 
Judges 16, 23 and 25, it says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice and to say, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. See what's happening here? Now they are giving praise to their false god, Dagon, because this man of God has been conquered. And when the people saw him, they praised their false god, Dagon. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the enemy that the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between two pillars. You know, Samson never could have imagined the effects of his rebellion. That the effects of his rebellion wouldn't just leave him blind, weak, conquered, enslaved. But it would also cause a revival amongst the worshippers of Dagon. What we need to realize is that the world absolutely loves it when we compromise. The world loves it when we compromise. The government loves it when you compromise. I, I remember coming here and I started going from school to school in the year 2000. And I got an open door to actually be a substitute teacher in the health class. And I was able to talk to them about, um, it, was under, it was under the banner of, of sexual education. And I would encourage them about all the dangers and all the consequences that comes from not living a disciplined life. But I was so amazed at uh, the, the family planning that was so rife, uh, coming from the hands of, of course, the administration, right, to the students. Just an absolute encouragement to live. And of course, they say, well, we have a problem. We have STDs. So what we need to do is we need to stop that by just doing this. The, it's, always, it's always like, let's do something good. And in so doing, they do more evil. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So what we need to realize is that the world absolutely loves it when we compromise. The world is loving what churches are doing. The world loved the fact that the churches were willing to close down for no reason. It's fine in the beginning. Nobody knew what was going on. But after a while, if you can go to a casino, you can go to a strip club and you can go riot, but you can't go to church, it becomes ridiculous. Anybody who, anybody who bought into that. It's just absolutely ridiculous that there was truth to their warnings. I'm not denying. I'm not denying that people died. People always die. They rejoice at your rebellion because it justifies them in their sin. The world loves it when the church just plays along. The world loves it when the church says, okay, yeah, we won't talk about that because, you know, people are canceled everywhere, so, you know, churches shouldn't be talking about that stuff anyway. 
I remember when I started talking about the sin of LGBT. Um, I had many people come to me and say, hey, you shouldn't do that publicly like that. You'll get into trouble. Are you kidding me? I'm in trouble when I don't. Do you understand that? You're in trouble if you don't. Well, trouble with God at least, right? Because think about it. Think about a church that never touches or never addresses sin. Would that be a church? Well, it wouldn't be a Christ church, right? Because behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Okay, so if a church doesn't actually address the sin issue, calling people to repentance, which we always do during communion, if we're not doing this, then we're of course not a church, right? But so what they do is, they go like, all right, you know, um, no, we're not woke, but neither are we anti-woke. That's like saying, no, you know, I'm not a sinner, but neither am I anti-sin. I mean, we're okay with you guys or everybody sinning. That's exactly what that is. So there is no such thing as being non-woke. There's only such a thing as being anti-it, right? You can't not be anti-sin and be a Christian. So they rejoice at the church's, the caving the constant caving in the church because it justifies their sin. Let's go to verse 26 and 31. It says, And Samson said to the young woman, oh, excuse me. That's, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him. You see, here we see God answering Samson's prayer. This shows us that God never forsook Samson. Even when Samson was at his most unfaithful place, God remained completely faithful. And so our takeaways here is that God can use a person in spite of themselves. God can use you and will use you in spite of who you are. You see, you don't qualify for communion. Communion qualifies you, right? You don't qualify for the cross. The cross is what qualifies you. There isn't one of us, not one of us that could qualify in any way, shape, or form. Every single one of us have fallen from the glory of God. You cannot point to the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. You can only point to yourself. Every single one of us do not qualify before God except for when we are in Christ. It is Christ that qualifies you to stand before God and even to do anything for Him. 
The second thing we take away here is that there is no human being who is exempt from the real effects of sin. There is no human being who is exempt from the real effects of sin. You might think that you've gotten away with a certain sin for a certain period of time. Family, I'm, I'm just pleading with you. Please know that this is the mercy and the grace of God. Don't presume on the mercies of God. Because God can never allow His mercy to overthrow His justice. He has to take care of every sin because He is a good judge. That's why He is good. Just as Samson lost his strength, he lost his sight, and he lost his freedom, so also the, the person who continues in unrepentant sin will lose their spiritual strength. They will lose their spiritual insight, their spiritual sight. And number three, they will lose their spiritual freedom. In other words, they will be spiritually weak, they will be spiritually blind, and they'll ultimately end up being in spiritual bondage. That's just the way it works. The whole entire history of Israel is about this issue right here. Disobeying God, falling to the hand of the enemy. So if you want to talk about, a human, if you want to talk about human potential, Samson is it. But it was, it was his unruly nature and his unbridled passions that destroyed all that he could have ever been. I mean, think of it. Here is this man. God used him inside, whether it be a bear or a bear, whether it be a lion, whether it be a thousand soldiers. He just killed a thousand soldiers by himself just before this. Nobody in all of the land, not even their military, could capture him and conquer him. But a woman did. Nobody, nobody could cripple David. But a woman did. Nobody could destroy. I'm talking about the greatest king who ever lived, and I'm talking about the strongest man who ever lived, and I'm talking about the wisest man who ever lived. <laughs> how did, how did Solomon, Solomon go down? Mm. But that speaks of unbridled passions, undisciplined minds. This is where our society is at, completely conquered. This is a, this is a porn-riddled and porn-saturated society. So if you want to talk about human potential, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Samson, if anybody ever had it. But it was his unruly nature and his unbridled passions that destroyed all that could have been in his life and never was. It is the same for you and for me. Our unruly nature and our unbridled passions will destroy everything that could have been. And I'll close with this. He who plays with sin like Samson did always minimizes everything that could have been, always cripples the strength of his own conscience before God, always reduces the capacity of his own potential, and always encourages the world to worship false gods. So I want to encourage you, family. Um, if you're listening to somebody who cannot bring up sin or call people to repentance, turn them off. Because that's part of the problem. You see, government's downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from the pulpit. Let me put one in there. Cult, government's downstream from culture. Culture is downstream from the family. 
The family is downstream from the pulpit. So what I'm saying is, we have to fix it at every point. And there's nothing you and I can do. We can't fly out to Davos. Because that wouldn't be good for, for, for nature, for anybody. But we, there's nothing you can, I mean, we don't have a handle to grab on, do we? But what we can do is we can start with self. You are a microcosm because the kingdom of God is inside of you, right? You are the microcosm. And now you have a family. And your family becomes a bigger microcosm of a future world, a future kingdom, which we were promised that the governments now upon his shoulders started 2,000 years ago. And that government, the increase of that government, will know, will know no end. And the way that that government increases and that kingdom increases is because it's in you. Therefore, don't be like Samson. And you be the reflector that reflects God's glory. Your family be the ones that reflect God's glory. And you be the patriarch of a family line that will be reflecting God's glory over the next 600 years. Imagine that. <laughs> Amen. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we don't trivialize your word. We don't trivialize the examples you've given us throughout Scripture. And as we peek into these men's lives, we don't judge them because we know. We know the doctrine of total depravity means that even us, we have been touched by sin, just like Samson. But we ask God, as in the book of Jude, not to him who is able to keep us from falling. Keep, our, keep us from falling. I pray for our congregation, God. Every person sitting here, keep us from falling. Cause us, Father God, to self-correct at every turn. Let us humble ourselves so we won't one day be humiliated. If Samson only learned to humble himself under your hand, he wouldn't have been humiliated by the hand of his enemy. We ask you, Father God, to teach us, to teach us, Father God, what it means to fear you. To come to you because you have such a fantastic future for every one of us if and when we choose to submit to your word, to your ways and your wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.